Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your hosts, Kalorn. I will be a basic bitch uh, hipster uh, if, if that's what it takes to say that books are better than movies. Fox Omega. But if you really want cock, you should, you should use it. Um, perfect, perfect high point. And now, the Armada Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Armada Podcast. It's me, Fox Omega. What's up, everybody? Happy Christmas season. We missed you guys. Or, I'm sorry, holiday season. You can say Christmas season, guys. It's not illegal to say Christmas. Uh, But there are other holidays, so we want to acknowledge those. Um, Speaking of acknowledging people or things, um, we have with us Kelorn today. Kelorn, how you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, trying to shoehorn this in before I get on a plane uh, to go to Michigan for uh, the holidays. Nice. Unfortunately, uh, Armchair will not be with us today because um, he is in a forest. Oh, he's in a he's in a forest in a robe chanting. I think he might be a druid celebrating the solstice. Today, so uh, no, he's had, we, he's on, honestly talking with him. He's had a series of just unfortunate scheduling snafus and health uh, concerns with his children. So, which we all understand. So, um, we're wishing him uh, happiness and good cheer during this holiday season. With us today, though, we have a special guest, um, multiple store championship winner. Um, top four finisher at LSO and the ultimate winner of the Texas Open Series Championship. Uh, we have Texas Honey Badger, Drew. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the podcast. Howdy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Nice. Uh, like Kalorn, I am excited to get my holiday travels underway. Got big Where are you plans. going? My wife and I are taking a cruise. A Christmas cruise. So we leave on Saturday and it's a seven day cruise to the Western Caribbean. Nice. This is the kind of things you do when you're married, but you don't have children, Fox. Yeah. I had a, <laughs> uh, well, what's funny. My, my, wife's family, obvious? <laughs> my, my wife's family did a lot of cruises before her and I got married. And then for some reason, me getting into the family, like no more. So that was one of the options. We, do you like, get for seasick? I don't get seasick. I don't get motion sickness at all. Um, one of the options for our honeymoon, we were going to do a Mediterranean uh, cruise, uh, but we ended up going to Disney World instead. So pretty much the same. So, Fox, you know what this means, right? Uh, what? We have an all Texas crew on the podcast tonight. Oh, dude. It's been a long time since it's been like that. All right? It's been a really long time. And so to celebrate, I have a little present. Courtesy of Mercy. Okay. Stars at night are big and bright. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, he sent me that file, so I had to play it. Dude, it's crazy. If you play that in a public place, like people can't control themselves. Like if you want people to clap four times, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring one of those like blue Bluetooth speakers, come to whatever store that you're working at on a given day, and then like blast that from the entryway. 
I mean, people will clap. There, people there will, will clap. Claps. I don't think you'll even get a weird look. Like people be like, "Yeah, this is normal here." <laughs> so there you go. Merry Christmas, Alan. Well, um, standard procedure. Whenever we have a new guest on the podcast, we have to um, extract as much deep, personal, intimate knowledge from this individual through our uh, intelligent, highly accurate sophisticated trademarked armada podcast interview so drew if you're ready i have a series of questions that gets to the heart of who you are as a being while you're playing star wars armada you ready for this fire away awesome so question number one how long have you been playing i've been playing about 18 months i started after rapid reinforcements one was already released. Just a baby, just an armada baby. Just a little top. Wasn't like your first tournament legs. at Gen Con or something? It was. Um, I played at Gen Con in 2022, I guess that's what it was. I was actually there for an Axis and Allies tournament, and uh, the armada tournament was at the end of the Gen Con, and so I was able to, I brought my stuff just in case. Um, I was able to play my very first match was against, uh, Admiral Tater and he beat me. And then my very next match was against another one of the command stat guys, uh, Becker. And he told me what tabling was. I learned that rule. And, uh, then I played another guy and it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, great experience. What a crazy way to get it. That, that's cool. Like going to do like something else. And then, you know, since you have the time, I feel like conventions recently, like their schedules are a lot tighter. So you really can't do that as much. Like, especially with the star Wars games, like you used to be able to like do X wing and Armada and you really can't do that anymore. Like if you just, if you were playing both games kind of have to decide, but. Well, you chose correctly because Armada is definitely the better of the two. Um, in these past 18 months, what would you say has have you developed into your play style? What, what is your play style? Uh, I, for competitive games, I like to min-max, I guess. That's probably the best way to play competitive anything. Um, but I like to play in a way that, I guess, frustrates my opponent. Uh, just in the play style, just kind of catches them off guard, I guess. Um, you know, something they're not expecting, and that way you can kind of capitalize on a mistake if they make a mistake, or if they're playing against your fleet and it's not a, a meta fleet, it's not something that they've seen for the last six or seven years playing the game, then they have to think and they have to come up with a new strategy and try something brand new on the spot and it may or may not work out. And so um, I definitely like to play different things and uh, I love playing things that are very unsatisfying to kill, I guess. I'll, I'll run a Pelta with just auxiliary shield team on it and that's the hardest work you're ever going to get to destroy 48 points. We've, we've talked a lot here on the podcast about how annoying uh, Galactic Republic Peltas are um, they're just awful no we would yeah. never do that 
thinking back, uh, Drew, like a lot of the, a lot of the lists that I've seen you fly, I, I think it, that's exactly right. Like you flew the, the Garinder, uh, at LSO, you flew that Starhawk at that tournament in Houston, you're flying, or you did fly this just ridiculously beefy triple victory plus a Venator fat spam, just garbage these past couple tournaments and just threw everybody for a loop trying to work through all of that beef. Um, it's an interesting play style. There are a couple p- the players more popular in the, in the world community that do the same thing. And it's, it's always interesting to see it because, you know, some metas, they, they tend towards like more finesse or more like, I don't know, scalpel esque fleets, but like, you know, you could break a scalpel with a brick <laughs> if it's big enough so that's interesting. Um, well, last question. And this is interesting because you probably are, in terms of playtime, the youngest player we've... No, Jordan Jordan was younger. Jordan had only been playing for a year when we interviewed him. But it's interesting to get y'all's uh, perspectives on this last question. If you could give advice to the you starting the game, what would it be? Yeah, I remember uh, talking to Jordan... Uh, after LSO too, because I guess he and I started playing right at about the same time. Um, but I would just say play. I mean, just play more games, play competitive, play online, get as much experience as possible, mix it up, play in different metas, um, get exposed to to new things, different things, factions squads no squads medium squads big squads whatever uh just play and i think when i first started out there were guys that i played with who went to all these events that we have in texas that went to texas open and lone star open and Warzone, and they kept asking like oh are you gonna go and i was thinking no i'm brand new i'm just gonna get crushed i don't know the game i don't know all the rules uh, but that's how you learn. That's the best way to learn. I think our Armada, Armada community has some of the best sportsmanship ever. Like I said, at Gen Con, I learned what tabling was. I learned that rule, and uh, I had a great time doing it. It's not like I felt like somebody pissed on my Cheerios. You know? It was like, oh, that's a great learning experience. It was a good opponent, very graceful in winning, and willing to teach me everything. And even the guys that I, I faced there, they knew I was new and they told me, Hey, this is what my fleet does. This is how I'm going to fly it. This is what I'm going to do to you. And they just did it. <laughs> and It wasn't a, a cloak and dagger cat and mouse game of, let me see how much I can beat up on the new guy. It was absolutely a, Hey, here's a new guy. Let's take him under our wing and foster his development in the game. And I think, Armada has a really good community for that. And so I would absolutely say go out there and, and play in tournaments and play competitively and play against new people. Excellent response. I will say as far as the piss and the Cheerios thing, you might be jumping the gun a little bit for our, uh, our hot takes. So we will, we may revisit that. So, um, yeah. anyways, today we have, um, an interesting topic because it, we're going to be talking about big heavy fleets, or specifically big heavy fleets that run little to no squads. 
Um, and the reason is uh, Drew, as of late, has made a name for himself, in our meta at least, in running these just big, beefy fleets um, with little to no squads. Uh, you, you've broken out full squadrons a couple times, but um, just the, the thing that has shaken up our meta the most is these fleets that just have no squads. And uh, Kelorn, you've run a couple fleets like that, specifically when you fly a Superstar Destroyer. Uh, which you've done. And, and COG, which. And COG. Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, it's still a thing. It's still, it's a, still thing. a thing. It's still legitimately it's a thing. Heartbeat. Trust me. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> but uh, it, it's going to be, it, it's going to be nice to have both of y'all on the podcast to talk through, um, you know, h- how you guys think about going into designing a fleet like this, flying a fleet like this. It's not really something I've done. Uh, in a long, long time, I've mostly only flown MSU or or squadrons in my time. So, Dooku. Uh, or Dooku. Yeah, pretty much. But um, I guess number one, like, what are some of the things, what does it mean to go squadless? Like, what are, what are you thinking? <laughs> are you crazy? What are you thinking? going squadless like what, what are the first couple things that you're thinking about if you're deciding hey i'm not going to put any squads in this fleet i think what uh people tend to i don't know if you've seen the movie walk the line but johnny cash is my favorite singer and um june reese witherspoon plays june carter in that movie's asking him like how'd you find your voice and how did you like come up with this unique sound and he's basically just saying Oh, I, I did it because I can't play any better. Or I can't sing any better. That's just the only way I can. And I think that a lot of people see squadless and they think, oh, well, you don't know how to play squads. And so that was the reputation I got uh, and why I brought full squads to LSO and full squads to Warzone and full squads to Austin and... Uh, that one you were talking about with the Starhawk, and I played Sloan the next day. Um, but when I think of, of squadless, I think um, hopefully a quicker game, not a lot of decisions, not a lot of sit back and think and measure. And, you know, you, you get in a rhythm. You just, all right, I'm going to activate this ship. It's going to do this, and I'm going to move on to the next one. And you don't, for one, if someone brings a light screen, you're just going to roll over them because they're trying to play a ship battle, but they invested points in squads. And that's what I was talking about with the min max thing is if you don't have your squads, you're able to put those points somewhere else. And I think kind of squads, the best defense is a good offense and you, you go for the table, you, you go for winning the ship battle. I think that when you're going to play squad list, you're, you're definitely deciding to play the game in a certain way. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a crowd out there that believes that squads shouldn't be a part of Armada, that it should just be the ships. And I understand the 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 reasoning that they that they want to play the game like that. It's it's definitely a push where you know you, you're like if you want to play squadrons, go play X wing. But if you want to play with the ships, let's play Armada because that's what that's why we're here. We want to play with the big ships. 
but at the same time, like you, the, the response to that is that, you know, when you go back and you, you, you read the Star Wars books or you, you watch the movies, there's never a, a battle with ships in Star Wars that doesn't have starfighters that's involved with it. So the kind of like combined arms um, aspect of squads and ships is, a real, is, in my mind, an integral one to Armada. However, if you want to play without squads, you need to have a certain things in mind when you're you're going to do that. First of all, you have to have a plan to of what you're going to do, and it's generally people will say if you play uh, you play squad listing against somebody that's heavy squads, you kill the carriers. You know, you hear that a lot. You just kill the carriers. You can say that it's usually easier said than done, but it's certainly a way to prevent that person. Now, the counter argument to the uh, the people that are like squads are super important to the game is squads don't hold you on the board, whereas a fully ship based list, most of the things except for any um, uh, what do you call it? Um, sorry, the flotillas trans flotillas. Everything about a flotilla is going to hold you on the board. So, and I found this a couple times in when I play Sloan, is that my Sloan list generally consists of an ISD that's pretty tough to kill, but it it will die if you if you hit it with enough stuff, and a quasar that is not tough at all to kill. I also have a flotilla in there, but that doesn't hold me on the board. So, if you kill two ships, then there's essentially about almost two hundred points of things in my Sloan list that doesn't keep it on the board. So. I think you just have to be cognizant of all these factors. In if you choose to play squadless, you you need to have a plan, whether that be through upgrades or tactics, uh, and how you're going to play the game against multiple different circumstances. Yeah, there. So you guys both brought up really really good points. I mean, squadless. I think the hard thing about squadless right now versus like four years ago is, um, like the 1.5 changed a lot of how squadless would have worked. Um, like pass tokens, your capacity to first last black dice delivery. Um, like it, it was a race, you know, and to a degree like cog has the, the, the cog, the style fleet has proven that you can still arrive at that type of thing. It's it's a different style. Like you're actually, it's actually still a combined arms plan. Like you're not trying to get a singular kuat. You're trying to get a kuat and demo and an onager all on point at the same time. You know, um, still incredibly powerful. Um, I think the important thing, what you said, Drew, I think is really important for anybody who's listening who like has a negative stigma around squadless, thinking that it's just for newer players. Um, it very much is where a lot of people start for sure. Um, also it's just a whole lot easier to understand what you're doing with those ships versus like how you're com- like the combined arms approach that Keller was talking about. It's hard to like fully conceptualize what a fleet does when there's that many moving parts. That's for sure. But several players have made a name for themselves and being primarily squadless. Um, you know, Gilad Palan, um, uh, Paul, uh, PT106, like those, those are two players that come to mind immediately that um, they've made a name for themselves 
and being squadless and doing very, very well in the face of squads. But when you look at their fleets, the ones that they design, they've got plans uh, around approaching a squad heavy fleet, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But um, that's kind of what I would say to start off. But um, what you I want to I want to hit on what you said a moment ago, Drew, like the reasoning behind going squadless versus just having a uh, a small fighter uh contingency like what you you hit it on uh, you hit you hit on it a little bit and i want to i want you to go into a little bit more like why do you think it's not worth putting like 32 points into having some vultures on the board versus just uh going completely squadless yeah so the factions that can have those light screens i think are uh separatists and imperial because they have the cheap vultures and the cheap ties the i guess the rebels have a wings which are pretty cheap good anti-squad also but that's my least favorite faction to play so i don't really think about them too often but um if z95s baby oh yeah i forgot about those two you're right uh z95s with their red dice um but if you want to gamble z95 is not gamble in her mother um <laughs> wow all righty so uh if you're gonna go and it might just be my play style it might just be my skill level i have tried light fighter screens and i find i am more frustrated when I take a light fighter screen and my opponent is squadless and then my ships are undergunned, then when I take a squadless fleet and my opponent has squads and I have to figure out how to get around their squads. So I would rather face the second scenario than the first. And it's happened to me several times where I've taken a light fighter screen thinking, all right, these are going to be able to tie down their squads or it's going to be able to deal with their squads or take out one or two of their key aces. And then I run into a squadless opponent or opponent with a light fighter screen. And I think, man, I could have had more guns. So it, it's a personal choice. I think there is nuance here because like the that, that light screen uh, can give, can yield deployments. And that does give you an advantage in like taking that. the words out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. You took the Z's out of my mouth. I was going to be like, you're sleeping <laughs> on the Z's, man, the Z's. Um, yeah. So I think that does give you, even though your ships may not have as many upgrades, the fact that you get to deploy them in a more advantageous way or like on a flank and those types of things, that does yield a slight advantage. Like once, once the timer starts and you know, you're in the rounds, for certain, you're absolutely right. Um, I think one thing I will say about this is sm- light screens, small screens, so like four squads, especially if they're generic. So I'm talking four vultures, four TIE fighters or interceptors, four Zs, ZZZs. Um, if you're doing some weird V19 spam uh, with Gar, uh, I have found that you honestly need practice with 134 or like a, a large squadron uh complement you need practice with that uh before you can understand how to properly use your light screen 
Um, like I, it's happened so many times with when I've flown four, four vultures and like one reserve hangar deck, like knowing how to use, uh, knowing how to use, uh, obstacles, knowing how to use ranges, distances, overlapping flak, those types of things uh, is critical to actually getting any use out of that. If you haven't practiced it or you don't want to practice it, or you really haven't, like, like you said, Drew, like if you just like the matchups better where you don't have any squads and your opponent does versus the other, you have a little bit and they don't have any, um, like it's honestly, it could totally be worth just going full squadless. Yeah. I think that's a great point of fly 134 to get used to it. And I think also the aspect of flying 134 to figure out how to use a small screen is seeing how a small screen frustrates your 134. And I try to do that a lot in my games um, where I almost want to walk over to the other side of the table and think, all right, what is my opponent going to do? What is he trying to do? What, what can I do to mess up his plans or to throw a wrench or frustrate him to, you know, where he has to adjust or do something he doesn't want to do. And, and that's exactly right. If you have that base knowledge of here's how a big squad ball operates and here's how I can mess with the big squad ball with just a couple of tie fighters, then you're going to do better. And shout out to a really frustrating light fighter screen of um, Riken and green and gold. I, I flew against that for the first time probably a couple weeks ago on TTS and I completely played it wrong because I'd never played against it before. And that was really frustrating to have all my ties tied down by one unique squadron, non a squadron. The one thing I wanted to bring up here is that there are a couple of different quote light squadron packages that, that I don't want to group together specifically. Uh, one is the one we're talking talking about here that you're using it to grab a couple of deployments. You've got a you know you know couple of tie fighters, four tie fighters, four vultures, four Z's, whatever. And then there's a couple of quote light fighter screens that are the I'm going to annoy the crap out of you type, um, and they are kind of epitomized in my lexicon by Sienna Valen, <laughs> where they're like. They're so annoying to kill that you just don't want to do it. <laughs> and they have kind of an outsized impact on the game. But we're kind of getting away from the the the, the whole uh, squadless style. So I'll, I'll let you get us back on track, Fox. Yeah. I, yeah, sure, I guess. Um, so I guess next question. Um, speaking of specific um, squadron like small squadron uh, makeups. If you're going squadless, what are the best and worst factions to start with? Like where, where do you guys find the most favor in squadless? So I'll say, and I said earlier, rebels is my least favorite faction to play. I also will tell you it's my least favorite faction to play against. I think it is a very strong faction. So I don't want anybody thinking I'm hating on the rebels. Uh, I just don't play them well. And the only rebel fleets I have any kind of a success with are Starhawk. So uh, shout out to all the rebel players. But I think if you're going to play squadron lists, your worst matchup is against rebels because of their bulky squads. They're 
um, rogues. There are nimble ships that can just get away from you and survive and run away. Um, <clears throat> but I don't really have a strength for rebels if you're going squadronless. For the other factions, I have Gar is tanky with their double flak. I've flown the pizza party list, the three VSDs with Svats and the Venator. Um, that's hard to take down with squads. I've flown the squadron list with four Peltas and a Venator with Lumi. Lumi, EST, refreshing those tokens, that's hard to take down with squads. For Separatists, Red Flak. Red Flak, LTTs, B2s, um, that's their kind of squadronless bread and butter right there. They can also take PDICs. Uh, Imperial, they've got the Double Flak, the Speed, the PDICs, the Hold, the Double Defense Tokens. Um, because I think that if you're going 134, and this is going to be a very reductive analysis of 134, there are two types of 134. There's the 134 where the squads are the heavy lifters, like Skurg bombers for the Rebels, um, and they're going to do all the damage. And then there's the 134 where the squads are either there to soften you up or finish you off. So I'm thinking Sloan, where they're there to strip defense tokens, or where you can send in squads to maybe completely deplete whole zone or shields on a whole zone and then your big hitter like your um, Liberty or your ISD or your Onager can take that big shot or your Patriot's Fist at a defenseless target. Or the big hitter takes the shot first and then the squads come in and now maybe there's a couple of whole zones that are missing shields and they can just plink on some uh, hole damage or get you to discard some defense tokens. So in getting around those two squad-heavy lists, I think you have to approach those two differently. And I would much rather fight the second one, where it's a heavy hitter with squads to help out with damage, with a squadronless list, than where the squads are the heavy lifters. Because if you're squadronless against a, a squad list that's heavy lifting squads, they're going to eat you up. Yeah, and we kind of talked about that with Plo. That Plo definitely, you know, he escalates the danger of those of those Arc One Seventies or the the Y wings like through the roof if you're squadless. I think the one thing I want to say here is like if you're thinking of going squadless and you're trying to pick a faction that's best for it, I honestly think it's the two Clone Wars factions, and the reason why is they have the best chance to mitigate the type of damage that squads put in. Um, if you look at uh, RMM Took, where a, a big aspect of that list is token generation and projection experts. So, so shields can be moved in any direction on any ship to replenish what the squadrons are potentially putting down. Um, a fleet that was really popular a year and a half ago, the Double Vin, Double Pelta, where it's the exact same thing. You've got a bunch of projection experts. You've got Tranquility. You've got just a lot of beef and repair uh, token generation. Um, those are the things that squadron lists absolutely hate is if 
because they deal in plink damage. What they're trying to do is remove your, the efficacy of your defense tokens. And if you can just say, you know what? I don't care if I don't have any defense tokens uh, because I'm just going to repair all these plinks uh, that you're putting through to me. I mean, that's that's devastating. So if I were trying to pick a faction where I wanted to start doing squadless, uh, I would be doing CIS or GAR 100%. Uh, I, I just don't think Imperials... Uh, some people have tried with Imperials and Rebels to mimic what's going on in the Clone Wars factions. I just don't think they have the pieces for it. Like you're, you're not going to be flying around a bunch of gladiators with projection experts or um, what, like architons just to like beef up an ISD. Like it's, you're, you're kind of wasting points at that point. Um, so that's, that's my advice at least. Kellorn, do you have any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think that squadless is viable in all of the factions, but I think that, it is more, vi- like you said, is more viable in the Clone Wars factions because the 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 Civil War factions just have better squads. They have more of them. They have more options. They have more things that you want to take in your squad balls, even if you're not going to take a full squad ball. Whereas I don't feel like that is the case in the, in in either of the Clone Wars factions. So uh, I, I think that Rebels in particular are because of the way that their whole faction works. Are, have the hardest time going squadless uh, by a pretty fair margin, but I, I think Empire is not that far behind them. Yeah, and I'll also say, uh, like, projection experts hit the nail on the head there. I, I left that one out, but I had it here as a, a squadronless must-have. Um, but I like the, what I call, anti-squad plus upgrades, where it's an anti-squad upgrade, but it also does something else, like PDICs. LTTs, B2s for the Separatists. It helps you kill the squads or it helps you survive against the squads, but it's not just a squad. So again, if your opponent has squad lists, you're not investing points into something that you don't have for the ship fight. Um, I also, I wish I would have played um, COG back before the Onager nerf. I never really was exposed to that list or thought about that list. I played at the Texas Open Online. I played Kuat Onager Kuat, however you want to pronounce that acronym. But that was a lot of fun. PDICs on each of the Kuats and then the Onager just in the back blasting away. But you don't have any points for a Gazanti or light squads afterward. Yeah. Cock is a good option. You know, I think. If you really want, I can't talk, believe you said that. You really want, <laughs> and we have an intro quote because <laughs> I'm a child. Because I'm a child, and I had to do it. So, but if you really want cock, you should you should use it. Um, perfect, perfect high porn. Anyways, uh, also cog is still a thing. Like you can fly it, dude. It's not it's not RIP'd. It's it's um, yes, indeed. Yeah, I did that. I flipped it on its head. Anyways, I, I wasn't a good onager flyer when there were 96 points. So after their nerf, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to try that. I was just never good with them. That's fair. So, okay. We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the order of events, whether you should learn to fly squads first versus going straight to squad list. There's, there's options either way, like whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, 
whether you should choose a screen or whether you should just go full squadless. I think the next thing we have to talk about is let's say, you know, you're Drew and you've got this squadless fleet and you're lined up against a, uh, a medium squad ball or a large squad ball. So something that's like 80 to to 110 points or 120 plus. I mean, what, what are we thinking? What, what are we doing? How are we approaching this attack? Because they probably have more deployments. Again, they have more flexibility in approach. Um, We've taken the upgrades we need, right? Like PDIC and projection experts probably. Well, what's the plan? What, what are we going for? Yeah, it's, um, so to touch on one thing real quick, the new players, I will say, um, if whatever you want to play, whatever you like playing, play it, whatever got you in the game, whether it's big ships or squads or whatever, play that. But uh, to a brand new player, I'd tell them, play squadronless, see how the ships activate, and then when you want to start playing Armada on easy mode, you can start throwing squads in there because they just do whatever they want. They don't follow the rules of the game. It's checkers, not chess. So... But moving on, if I have a squadronless fleet and I'm going against a medium or heavy squad ball, um, I think, for one, the preparation, like we were talking about. How do you build those fleets? What do you think about coming into it? And that's part of what um, made Pizza Party successful was it had a 12-point bid. And so I'm going second, and you're going to pick contested outpost where I can farm. You're going to pick volatile deposits where I can farm or ion storm where I can farm. And ion storm, not only that, but I can strip your tokens with my long range fats. So if you have a, a squadron token that you need for whatever reason, uh, or if you have, if you're only dialing up squadrons and then you have, those nav tokens that you need so you can dial up token or uh, dial up squadrons and still be able to navigate, then I'm stripping that. But it goes back to which kind of squad are you facing? Are you facing the, the squads or the hitters or the squads or the icing on the cake? And you have to approach kind of each one differently. You are going to get out deployed. That's just, you've got to learn to deal with that. And I think that comes in the preparing for your fleets ahead of time, knowing how to fly them, knowing what turn one, turn two, turn three look like at almost each one of those speeds and clicks. It, it kind of becomes a, uh, a chess game where the really good chess players have all of their openings memorized. They have all of their responses memorized. So you kind of have to know where where are my ships going to be if I do speed one, one click to the left, speed two, one click to the right, however it, it ends up, where can I set up this kill box to be able to trap and or chase down their carriers and their ships so I can trade up? And the thing about Pizza Party was those uh, victories are only 82 points. So when you're going against squads, you can focus on the squads initially, and this is why I said Rebels are the worst one to play against if you're uh, playing squad, squad list because the the Gar, their ships just aren't maneuverable, so you can trap them and chase them down. The CIS and the Imperials, they have squishy squads. 
So they're going to move in, do a squat attack. You're going to flack them one or two or three times, and then they're either going to sit there and die and you get those points, or they're going to get scared and run off. So now it's just a ship battle. And it's really hard to trade up for one of those 82-point victories without losing, especially in a, a farming scenario where I'm getting points off of the objectives too. I, I think there's a, a lot of, of good stuff in there, uh, Drew. I mean, one of the, the way I always think about it is when it comes to deployment, when you're an all ship list, you're almost certainly going to be at some kind of disadvantage. So how do you flip that disadvantage? And, and you know, you talk, you're talking about uh, objectives are a great way to, to flip a deployment disadvantage. Uh, there are several that directly do so, uh, including things like Solar Corona. Uh, but, you know, being able to farm points also is a, it can be a, a large advantage. Um, and, however, I always think about it in terms of if you are going to play a fleet that is squadless, you need to kind of learn to set up in such a way that it doesn't matter what your opponent deploys as that you are going to. And, and I tend to think of this kind of as kind of like a fortress mentality, and I tend to do it in a corner of a deployment zone. I'll set up. um such that my ships are set to go and attack in any direction from the corner that I'm set up in. And it doesn't matter so much where you, de- where you deploy. If you uh, opposite corner deploy, then I can come across the middle at you. If you come, if you go across from me, we can joust. If you try and middle deploy, then, then we're going to, you know, c- kind of have a bit of a chess match. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're, when you know, that you're going to be at a deployment disadvantage, you need to understand how to mitigate that going forward, whether that be however. Very eloquently put. Yeah, I think that's correct. Is if if you're flying squadronless, you're going to get out deployed, period. Uh, so you need to create a deployment that doesn't care about what your opponent deploys, period. Um, so corner deployment. Central deployment, as long as you practice wheeling your fleet around, um, I've seen a lot of people try that and it just doesn't go well if they don't think about the speeds or the the yaw that they've got on their ships. Um, so those are really important considerations. And honestly, like Drew said uh, earlier in the episode, um, like this is the easiest fleet to practice with or type of fleet as far as ship movement and not thinking too hard about it. Like if you've only got four ships, like in that Pelta Pelta, double Pelta, double Venator example I gave earlier, I mean, you've only got four ships and two of them go speed three and two of them go speed two. Like the, the, the amount of variations aren't, it's not that many. So you can practice at home with how you want to deploy those four ships to get the best uh, out of either direction, left or right, or even straight ahead in a corner uh, using any of the objectives that uh, that Drew was listing, uh, any, any of that stuff. So I would, I would strongly recommend that as far as what to do during the game, you're going for the carriers. It's important for you to understand that, like that you're not getting, you're not going to be able to, if you're squadless, it's very rare that you would get all 134 points of their squads. Like there are very few ships that have a flat game that strong, uh, that aren't also supported by squat and them down. Um, and this is why we come back to why Sloniger ended up having to have Corvus in it. 
because otherwise it just got deleted off the table. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm coming after you. Like if, if you're not going to have some kind of wily deployment option to keep your uh, commander away, I am full blast running for your, your flagship, your carrier, whatever it is. So that's really important to understand. Like you, because of the flexibility of squadrons, if you aren't going to have that strategy, if you're just going to kind of kind of lollygag, go speed one, speed two, have fun, high five yourself while you, you know, sit around in one corner of the map, those squadrons are going to tear you up. So it's important to understand that. Um, last thing before we move on to um, some interesting anti-squadron options, some would even say jank. What are some objectives or interesting synergies between fleets and objectives and those types of things that you guys have seen squadron squadronless players can take to get an edge over squadron players? Kellen, what do you think? I mean, the cl- the classics are you know contested outpost and doom station, um, and then you pair that with either advanced gunnery or m- most wanted you know uh, flavor of the month. Um, and it's just about sitting there and making them come to you while you farm points. Um, you know, that's kind of a little bit counterintuitive to what we were talking about going for the carriers, but it, it also gives you an option that they have to come to you. Um, so that's kind of the classics. Uh, but one I just wanted to kind of point out is the one I brought up a minute ago, and that's Solar Corona. Um, Solar Corona is an extremely powerful objective for all ship-based fleets. Because you get a perfect knowledge of what their deployment is before you put any of your ships down. And you also get the advantage of when they, most of the time when they're going to shoot at you, they're going to be losing that first accuracy on the initial roll. Um, And that can completely change how the game is played, particularly when you're playing against people who are reliant on small dice pools. If they get an accuracy and it's a three dice pool, that's real bad. I th- yeah, as far as objectives, uh, those are all good ones. Um, you see surprise attack so that they can raid the squadrons. That's a pretty popular one. Like I said, ion storm so you can farm. Maybe most wanted, but that's kind of fleet dependent. If you're doing something like COG with a Gazanti, you can do most wanted because you can just put it on your Gazani. Most wanted on pizza party does not work. Um, unless maybe you put it on your flagship and make them fight through all three of those victories to get to your flagship. But um, Blockade Run is surprisingly one of those because you can farm points and they can't really stop you from farming points unless they want to get in front of you and get in your kill box. So if you're a squadronless fleet you're trying to set up the kill box. And then you also have the objectives that have the exogorus like um, volatile, or not volatile deposits, um, asteroid tactics and... Infested fields? Infested fields, yeah. And actually, I, I think I like volatile deposits a little bit better for squadronless than um, Doom Station. It's five less points per turn... But only if they continue, if they commit part of their fleet to farming it also. And if they're a squadron fleet, then um, they're going to need those ships to, they're, they're either leaving back their big ship or they're leaving back a carrier. 
to farm that asteroid. And when you get shots on their carriers or on their big ship, you can splash damage onto their squadrons also, which makes them either die or have to run away. Yeah, I I agree with the volatile deposits uh, shout because I've seen some absolutely brutal splash damage on like some three hole squadrons. And then what I said earlier about you're probably not going to get the 134 with just flak. It's out. It's now it's fair game. Like if you can get one or two splashes, it's like, yeah, I probably could actually, especially if I have ord pods and stuff like that. Um, I think infested fields and asteroid tactics seem like they would be really good objectives for squadless fleets against squadron heavy players. The problem is um, if you've played a lot of those objectives, you kind of need a way to pin your opponent down in range of the exagorths. Like the, those two objectives are only really good against rogues who can't move until the squadron phase or, or, or usually don't want to. If the squadrons are being activated by a carrier, uh, especially if they've got, you know, like Squall plus Jindan, so you're activating like from super far away, there's too much flexibility uh, for the squadron player to make your um, make your objective obsolete. Um, so uh, it's not something I would, you know, very much recommend unless you were doing something like, what is it, Instigator that can like, no, it's, uh, what's the other one? I can't think of the other one that pins them down or acts like they're engaged. But yeah, so Volatile Deposits, though, is a good shout. So I think with the, the Exegorths one, you've got your Asteroid Tactics and your uh, Infested Fields. It's not about putting them where the squadrons are. It's about putting them where you don't want the squadrons to be. You don't want your squad those squadrons to come around the sides. You don't want those squadrons to get behind you. You don't want those squadrons to hit the front of your ship whenever you've got another big hit coming into the front of your ship to weaken your hull zones. And so if, <clears throat> if they're going to activate squadrons in the ship phase, then those squadrons are going to get eaten up it's, it's extra flack. They're going to get eaten up whenever I activate those exocores. Now, with your ast- the way you do that is asteroid tactics. You want your ships on those asteroids to get back their defense tokens, which are defense tokens that you can spend against squadrons to maybe redirect some of that damage, and then again against the ships, and then you move on to the asteroid, and then you get one of them back, or you, you recover one. Then with um, infested fields, you just put the uh, the obstacles in front of your ships, and then you move up, and then you put the exocores down, and then you move those obstacles, and then you move up to the obstacles again, and then you move the obstacles. And then so you keep kind of a buffer between, and it worked really well with Ramadi, because now you're trying to get obstructed with the exocores and the obstacles, and then also block with the... Uh, block line of sight and then block the squads from coming in and eating up your ships. But yeah, the Exegors aren't going to prevent an alpha, but they might prevent a second alpha. I I just wanted to bring up one thing is asteroid tactics is seems like it's a really good idea or a really good uh, possibility for an all ship fleet. The problem is Lando exists and any rebel fleet that has Lando in it is instantly going to take asteroid tactics and just absolutely leverage the crap out of it. 
and you're going to be eating nasty, nasty shots all the time. So keep that in mind. Uh, the Lando asteroid tactics abuse is, is definitely a thing. Be very careful taking that objective if you don't have a real solid point for it. All right. So last couple things to note. Um, there are some, you know, some would say jank. Others would say genius. Uh, upgrades or strategies you can use to uh, to add to your fleet to make them particularly hardy or dangerous against squads. So um, I want to speak to a couple of these um, that I've personally used. Um, the the Callus uh, Gladiator with Demolisher on it, where you can do the double flak. You can flak it out the front and then fly over them and flak out the back. So, and, the, and that way you can, you know, uh, potentially flak kill 134 if you get real lucky with some of those rolls. Um, Raiders, I've seen that done multiple times in Europe, actually. There are quite a few players over there that are really great with navigating those Raiders because they've got, there, there's two actually, there's two, um, uh, titles for the Raider. That's not Corvus, even though most people only fly Corvus, but it's instigator. And what's the other one? I can't think of the other one. Um, impetuous or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But you know, one pins some squadrons down so they can't move. Um, and the other, uh, it gives you an extra flak attack, which they're already rolling two blacks, uh, which is great. You know, throw callus on there, throw, um, ordnance experts, and you've got a flak machine. Cluster bombs are coming into vogue. Um, Patrick has uh, made that very, very popular. I've created a couple fleets in the separatist faction that that utilize cluster bombs. It and I think CIS, like particularly hard cells, leverage cluster bombs very, very well, uh, especially that that battle refit. Uh, you know, if like uh, Drew mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but LTTs and B2s, the flak is just insane out of those tiny little things. If you add cluster bombs, you get that free four blue attack back at your opponent, and then you can flak them in like a super flak. It's like five, six, seven dice, right? But I mean, Merrick is dead. Like you're, you know, Lando is dead. There are so many squads that just fall to to that type of retaliation so uh some really interesting options do you have you guys thought of any other or seen any other kind of traps or or upgrades that act in that way i mean the one i would give uh a shout out to is one that gets it's it's not really a a squad one that squadless uses but i i've run into trouble against ruthless strategists and cheap beefy ship or squads that don't really do anything like Y wings or, <laughs> or uh, tie bombers. Uh, and you can just kind of sit them there and then just kind of flack into it and be like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? It, it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, ordnance pods, obviously. Um, it's kind of like callous. Um, ordnance pods are awful, awful for Sloan. Yeah. And, um, surprisingly Jaina's light because in a squadron that's obstructed is not very useful against ships. Very few of them have double dice. So most of them can't attack a ship at all. That's obstructed. 
and then Jaina's light just blue flaks him and goes and sits on a whatever and can't get shot back. So that's one that I've seen that's been effective against squads. But I do... I think that you can build anti-squad with just ships very effectively. I just don't know how effective those builds are because, again, you're investing a lot of points into something that is specifically against squads. And if you run against a, a no squad or a light squad, then those are just wasted points. So that's my only trepidation in taking those. Yeah, I will say, like, that's why when, when you look at highly competitive fleets, their anti-squadron upgrades uh, also have anti-ship uh, benefits as well, or defensive benefits. So, like, EWS, Early Warning System, it's not just a squadron upgrade. You can use that against things like, um, you know, a CR-90 Swarm would make them very unhappy. Um with things like uh, LTTs, that's a free reroll on every on any shot. But then you also get the flak boost. B two rocket troopers, um, or rocket droids. I'm sorry. Um, like that. That is flak, and you can raid ships. So having having upgrade options that work against squadrons very potently, but also back you up when you're in a specifically. Uh, up against a more heavy uh, ship fleet. Uh, uh, those are the ideal. Things like Agent Callus, things like Impetuous or Instigator. Yeah, those things are dangerous. Y you would choose those in like a meta where everyone's flying squads, right? But if you're, you know, you're flying in the Vassal World Cup that's coming up soon and you don't know what you're going to go up against, it's better to have flexible anti-squadron options than really, really uh, niche ones. Yeah, I think if you're investing in those types of fleets, then you should probably, if, if you're trying to be competitive, if you're just trying to have fly and have fun, then fly whatever you want. That's that's the beauty of this thing. It's it's a game. Um, you can play it however you want to play it. But if you are trying to fly competitive and you're trying to win or place well in a tournament, I don't think I would fly a squadronless fleet with designated squadron killers. I think if you're looking at how, what's my answer to squads, I need to add all these anti-squad upgrades like cluster bombs and ordnance pods. You're better off just flying a squadron fleet that you can fight off some squads or buy yourself time against large squads and they can also maybe get one or two damage on a ship with their little blue die TIE fighter. All right. Well, that is all we've got to say about squadronless fleets. It's time um, for Hot Take 30. Oh, thank you, Juliet Whiskey. It is time for Hot Take 30, and I am reading the first one to Kalorn. Kalorn, hipsters are wrong. Books are never better than the movie that is based on it. When did book nerds become hipsters? I mean, that that's my real question here, because like... Books are always better than the movie. There's always more nuance. There's always more background. There's always a bigger, better world that gets built in, in a book. I enjoy movies for what they are, but I don't go into a movie thinking I'm going to, to see the same story or have the same level of story 
that you would have in a book in the movie. I'm going to the movie because I want to see what the director and the creative staff do to bring that book to life and what their visual interpretation of the written word is rather than seeing a better story. So if that's a hipster opinion, sign me up and get me a fucking iced mocha or whatever. And and we'll go from there. My pumpkin spice latte. That sounds good. No, that's, that's, that's more. That's white girl stuff, right? The 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 pumpkin spice lattes. I will be a basic bitch uh, hipster uh, if if that's what it takes to say that books are better than movies. <laughs> oh, I think I think hipsters became book nerds around the time of Harry Potter. Um, but Drew, what do you got? What do you think about this, man? Yeah, I I don't can't recall a movie I've seen and thought, oh yeah, that was better than the book. Or anything. I mean, one of my favorite books when I was a kid was Ender's Game. And I think as a kid, I would have loved for them to make a movie out of that book. But the movie came out when I was already an adult. And I was thinking, how the heck are they going to make that into a movie? The whole book takes place in Ender's head. And there's just so many nuances. And there's just so much more you can convey with perspective and books and I thought they did a pretty good job, to be honest. They, I loved the visuals that they did. I loved some of the characters that they put in into Ender's Game, but that was not well received. And I don't think that it was ever going to be because, like, it's a like you say, it's a really difficult book to to translate into the film media. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. It's there's just so much more you can convey. And then the other problem you have with you know my favorite book series as an adult has been the Reacher novels or at least before I joined the army, they were the Reacher novels and um, they made those into a movie and it was just terrible because it was too much commercialization. I mean, Reacher's a six foot two, six foot three, 240 pound muscular dude. And they cast Tom Cruise. Now the, the TV series on Amazon is a dude, lot better. It's awesome. But it is, but yeah, again, you're thinking, speaking Fox's language right now, <laughs> <laughs> but you're able to, you're able to do a lot more in a TV series than just a movie, a two hour movie versus an hour episode every week for 10 weeks. So I agree. I, I think that as much as I don't enjoy reading as, as much as I used to anymore, um, I'd much rather watch a movie than read a book. I think the books are just better. Yeah, well, coming from someone who can't read at all, um, movies are better, period. So, moving on. Dude, I, I will say that I, like, I don't get a chance to read near as much as I used to. Me neither. Um, uh, but audiobooks that I listen to while I drive are a fucking godsend. So, Dude. we got to pick something to listen to on the, the way back and forth to, to, uh, to Chicago. Oh, for sure. Fox. And you need to start watching Reacher because it's freaking good. And so does everyone else. Cause... Okay. I will start watching Reacher. Uh, we, we, Alan doesn't get a choice on what we listen to. It's you and I, and he. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll listen. <laughs> I have listened to a few of the Reacher books on audiobooks. When uh, my first job out of college, I drove about 1,500 miles a week. and um, Dear listened. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I put uh, 32,000 miles on my car in eight months. It was insane. But uh, I, I got tired of the radio and got tired of hearing the same songs over and over. So I started listening to audiobooks. And I think the only problem, it's kind of like podcasts for me sometimes. Whenever I, I listen to too many podcasts back to back to back for hours on end, I just start, my mind starts wandering. And 
So audio books are good in mediate or uh, moderation. Yeah, you got to break it up. We can just listen to the Reacher show, like not look at it, but just listen to it. Like even the action scenes, we'll we'll enjoy it. Um. All right, Drew, your hot take. Water has a taste. Is this a hot take? That that's my hot take. Yeah. Y'all don't have any like water sponsors or anything. I'm not going to piss off big water, am I? You know, well, uh... <laughs> you've said you've said piss now like multiple times, so <laughs> that's true. Uh, but water uh, vibes. I hope our listeners aren't water enthusiasts. No, water doesn't have a taste. Um, they're like water's water. You can get flavored water. You can get sparkling water. Mineral water. You can, all those have taste, but if you taste your water, it's not water that you're tasting. As, as someone who grew up on well water that had a ton of sulfur in it, <laughs> water could definitely have a taste. You're right. It's That's not, it's, not it, it, it's literally not, it, it's not the water that has the taste, but there are like added you know things even, but like, I, I challenge you go get yourself like an Ozarka water, a Dasani water and an Aquafina water. And I will be able to tell the difference in all three of those just from tasting. Like, yeah, because there's different kind of, uh, but it's still just water. No, I, I get it. I get it. It's so it's like what do you, what do you like what are you defining as the taste of water? Because like it's not like any of those those things have are saying like I this is flavored water. If they just say they're selling water, right? So like if you can tell the difference, then there is flavor or, or ne- there's taste. Have you seen that cat that knows the difference? Like its owner can't give it like tap water. Or Dasani, like it has to be Uh, like a particular bottle of water that it'll drink, or it won't drink at all. Are 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 you honestly shitting me right now? No, this is real. This is real. A cat is like a cat can taste the water and is like, meow meow. Absolutely not. Get this fake water out of here. Because it tastes the the things that are in the water. But anyway, uh, before we move on. But a little off topic, did you know that you can hear the difference between hot water and cold water being poured? Yeah, I feel that. I feel like uh, hot water I, I is static, right? Yeah, if you if I poured some hot water right now and then poured cold water, you would both be able to tell me which one's hot and which one's cold. Hmm. It's like I hadn't really worst, thought about it, but I believe it. It's like the worst X-Men mutant ability. I could hear the temperature of water. Like, okay, well, my, my superpower. We'll put you in the bucket with. It's it's good enough to be in Deadpool. With, we'll put you in the room with the guy you can smell two minutes in the future or something like that. Or the girl on uh, Mean Girls whose breasts can tell if it's already raining. <laughs> exactly. They'll create. I'll bring that up because they're remaking that movie. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, comes out next month. And knowing is half the battle. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> All right. So last one, I have to read to Fox. So Fox, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? <laughs> this one tickles me so much, dude. Um, uh, so ducks are mean. I don't think it would be in my benefit to fight a horse-sized duck. I think I would have to go with a hundred duck-sized horses. I wouldn't be able to outrun them, but I think I could step on them. And I don't think their mouths are big enough 
at that size to hurt me, maybe? I don't know. They bite pretty hard. But would a duck-sized... Have you ever been bitten by a chihuahua? What? Chihuahuas aren't part of the prompt. Yeah, but what I'm saying, like, chihuahuas are small and they have a small bite, but they still hurt like hell. I mean, it's basically the same size as a duck-sized horse. I don't know. A horse would bite your finger off, like, straight up, like, like carrot. I don't know. I, I I think that you could run away from one duck sized or horse sized duck easier than the hundred duck sized horses. But what? what? No way. I mean, they can fly. So. Oh my god, that'd be that's terrifying. What, that, that's, <laughs> that's why you have like shelter. I don't know. <laughs> and like probably... ducks do have claws. So I, the way it breaks down for me is like birds are descended from dinosaurs, right? So. If it's a horse-sized duck, I mean, that's a horse-sized dinosaur descendant. It's basically a velociraptor with a with a corkscrew penis. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not even get into Okay, apparently the E is going on this episode. <laughs> I've said, I've referenced, um, yeah, a lot of phallic language today. I apologize, everybody. I literally just read the chat that says Keller and you want to read mine. And I, cause I, I, I kind of came to that realization naturally without having to read the chat. <laughs> well, yeah, it took you long enough though. You viewers won't know this, but you waited like 38 seconds. before. I, yeah. I, there was a, a pause. And I was like, why is he pausing? I was like, Oh yeah, I've got to read. All right. So Fox, we got a crap ton of last minute store championships. To, Dude, to talk we about really here. do. We're down to the wire. Um, we have, am I reading these? Are you reading these? Yeah, go for it. Go okay, on. cool. On December 30th, Game Castle in Sacramento has the store championship. Inconceivable Toys and Games in Castle Rock, Colorado, also having a store championship. The very next weekend, January 6th, Dragon's Lair Medical in San Antonio is having a store championship. The next weekend, January 13th, Gamers Guild in, what is that, Tempe, Arizona? Is that how you say that? Uh, and new Tempe. world, Tempe. new world, e. Tempe. Yeah, he he he. Uh, I knew this already, but he actually put it in the thing. Is make sure that uh, that armchair reads it as Tempe, that uh, crazy crazy uh, Canadian who doesn't know how to say American city names. Oh well, apparently I don't know how to say them either. Tempe, Arizona, New World Gaming in Dallas. This is on January thirteenth. January 20th, the next weekend, Gig Harbor, Washington at the Church of the Nazarene. They are having a store championship that's starting at like 2.30 p.m. They know what they're doing and over the LVO, there. Though. And the LVO World Qualifier. And the LVO World Qualifier is uh, that weekend as well. And then January 27th, we have Game Castle in Austin, Texas, um, hosted by yours truly, uh, Keller, not me. Um, so... A lot of activity coming in here at the very, very end of this season. So I think there's only one in, three in Texas in January. I thought there was yeah, more. Yeah, no, I think it's just the three. There's also one in Oklahoma City on the 27th as well. So, oh, keep that in well, mind. We will get that out next episode. So, yeah. And then also the Vassal World Cup signups are right now. It's an online tournament using the the Vassal. Uh, module for Armada, some of the best players in the world. It's one of the most renowned online tournaments in Armada history. If you want to join, sign up now. We had 84 players sign up last year. Uh, let's make it go gangbusters. So that's all I have to say. Any final words? Oh, uh, Drew, thanks for coming on, man. Um, really appreciate you, you being on and sharing your experience. 
Um, I've told you many times, like it's been awesome to watch you uh, develop in this meta and just do very, very well. It's actually really inspiring. So good job on all of your, your wins and your playing man. Um, awesome. Awesome work. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a wild ride. I won my very first tournament two months ago and uh, in Austin, and I've won four, four or five more <laughs> since then. So I think I've I've peaked. It's just downhill from here. <laughs> yeah, we, we, as Fox and I are both on the decline of that peak, then we, we, we totally understand. Dude, I am so washed up. Absolutely. I just talked about. You should have done. You can't handle the truth like that. That would have made more sense. <laughs> that was the first one I grabbed. Sorry, Keller. You got anything else to add? I don't. I hope that everyone has a wonderful holiday season. We will not be recording next week uh, uh, over the holidays, as I will be out of town and I have no idea what Fox is doing. It's probably something important. Um, the fourth is probably going to be iffy. I don't know, like I'll be, I'm getting back that week and I don't know what, what our plans are. So but we will certainly have an episode by the 11th. So keep that in mind is kind of the, the holiday podcast schedule. Uh, and other than that, no, I think, I hope everybody has a wonderful couple of weeks. Um, I hope you will, you know, get some good gifts and give some good gifts and have uh, time with family and friends. Sweet. Well, everybody fly safe. I don't know. Fly casual. Thank you for listening to the Armada Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.